Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. You can listen to all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Enjoy. On the IA podcast, we are used to discussing economic topics such as inflation, the labour market, and trade. But the IA is also interested in political theory, the ideas which form our worldview. We have previously discussed the Frankfurt School and Marxism from a liberal perspective. But where does liberalism fit in with international relations? There's no doubt an understanding of the theories of IR is vital for policymakers across the world. Why do nation states act in a certain way? What motivates them? And how can we best understand conflict and war? This is a salient topic for 2022. Russia has troops massed on the border with Ukraine, challenging the nerve of the NATO alliance and the United States and their resolve to defend Eastern Europe from, from Russian influence. All in all, an understanding of IR and classical liberalism is vital for any student and freedom lover. I'm delighted to be joined by Dr. Edwin van der Haar, who recently wrote for the IA blog on this issue. Edwin is an independent scholar who specializes in the liberal tradition in international political theory. Um, first of all, could you explain what broadly constitutes liberal uh, international relation theory as students across the world understand it? Yeah, I think it's important to realize that liberalism in IR uh, mainly originates from what we call social liberalism, or in the USA, you would call it just liberalism uh, in political theory, uh, as opposed to the classical liberalism of, for example, Adam Smith, David Hume and Friedrich Hayek. So when you read an academic textbook in international relations, you will always see a chapter on liberalism, uh, often with descriptions of all kinds of variants, uh, for example, commercial liberalism or republican liberalism, uh, yet it is not equal to classical liberal theory. Um, but let me first start with the main characteristics of liberalism in IR. Uh, first, um, a very important, I think, there's the expectation that it is possible to eradicate war and conflict from world politics. Um, in the belief that human beings are rational enough to overcome conflict and enable a harmony of interest to, uh, across the world to, um, to develop. So it's a very optimistic way of looking at, uh, at the world. Um, in contrast, they see states and domestic political institutions and elites such as the, uh, the diplomats and the, the military, uh, they are seen as troublesome. Liberals uh, in IR want to shift power from the nation state to the international level through, uh, for example, international law and international organizations. They also held the, hold the idea that free trade uh, fosters peace and that democ democracy promotes peace. So they have a very um, optimistic view on that as well. And they will uh, support military interventionism to bring peace if needed, uh, which is also seen as a way to civilize others, just like 19th century liberals like uh, John Stuart Mill, for example, saw uh, the utility of the empire also in bringing uh, civilization in part. And um, there's also much attention and faith in the conflict decreasing uh, influence of societal interaction 
beyond political and security uh, in the international arena. So in, uh, in particular, uh, the economy and cultural exchange, which is often called global interdependence. So the idea there is that um, the more links between groups and companies and individuals you have around the world, the less uh, conflict is likely to have a chance to uh, develop into a, a large war or uh, uh, other conflicts. These are the main characteristics of uh, what you now see as liberalism in IR theory, which is different from uh, classical liberalism. So that's that's interesting because obviously I think many people listening to this who um, would describe themselves as liberal may not ascribe to liberal IR theory. And that brings me on to my next question. You know, do classical liberals have different views about IR and what are the main differences? Mm -hmm. Uh, yes, uh, classical liberals are different uh, and have different views about IR than the, the liberals you will see in academic textbooks. Um, um, it's, it's kind of logical because their theory of domestic politics is different. Um, so it would be strange if their views on international affairs were the same as other liberals. Um, so when looking at classical liberal IR, uh, and I will uh, introduce it right away. I want to stress that this is not a made-up theory by me or so. Uh, it's a bottom-up theory retrieved from and completely in tune with the rest of the thought of uh, famous classical liberal thinkers, such as David Hume, Adam Smith, Ludwig von Mises, and Hayek. It's all in their work, but it had to be retrieved, and that's what uh, I did, uh, but it's for everyone to check and see. Uh, so now to the building blocks. The building blocks of classical liberal theory of IR uh, are as follows. It starts with the view on human nature because human uh, international relations is, is is a human affair. You know, it's about people. It's not a, it's a little bit about structures, but it's always about people acting uh, within those structures. Um, the view of nature of classical liberalism is realistic. And that means that reason and emotion are both important to steer and explain human behavior. Uh, also, uh, compared to a liberal IR, which we just uh, mentioned, is that reason is not always able to rule over the emotions. Huh? Think of Hume's um, uh, uh, slave, uh, human uh, emotion, uh, reason must and ought to be slave of the passions. That's uh, the famous uh, sentence by Hume. Um, from this follows, uh, from this idea that violence is uh, and, and conflict cannot be uh, abolished, even if we want to, uh, from this follows that war and conflict are also natural events in IR, because as I said, it's a human thing. Um, not to be welcomed, I mean, we, classical liberals don't like war, they don't welcome war, uh, but they realize that the main question is, how do we deal with its inevitable occurrence? Um, so that's a, that's, a, that's a very important starting point. Um, also, sovereign states are seen as the main actors in IR, uh, while empires need to be discarded. People, uh, classical liberals think that people have a, an, some kind of an emotional link with their, uh, with their state, and this cannot be just uh, abolished. Uh, however, if you oh, exaggerate things, then you come to a theory called nationalism, uh, which is bad, classical liberals think, because it's a form of collectivism. 
And patriotism is fine. So, you know, you're proud of your country, for example, in the Olympics when you get a medal. Uh, but uh, nationalism is, uh, is, is wrong. As said, uh, war is inevitable, but its recurrence must be limited. And that can be done through the use of the balance of power, which is also a form of spontaneous order, because the balance of power means that a country or a group of country in um, United uh, wants to uh, rule the world, uh, but there will be another group of countries or another big country who will try to prevent that. And if these two groups are in balance, um, there will be less war because war is a very costly and uh, thing. And it might, uh, they might lose their position if they start a war. So the uh, balance of power ensures that there is some stability in world politics. Not that all wars will be abolished, uh, but it works as a, a spontaneous ordering mechanism in, the, in world politics. Another way to limit war is just war theory, which says that you cannot just start a war for any reason. There has to be a good reason. And, while, and if, uh, if you are waging a war, you have to, um, there are certain principles which you cannot um, uh, discard, such as the um, distinction between military people and uh, non-military people in uh, waging war. And another um, way to uh, limit war is uh, some form of international law. Um, not all international law, so, um, but, but some, some uh, principles of international law can be uh, very helpful to, um, uh, to prevent war or help to uh, uh, minimize war as well. Uh, as opposed to the other liberals, uh, classical liberals don't, uh, only want to mili uh, use military intervention in seldom cases. Uh, for example, when a genocide is, is, uh, is happening, uh, they don't want military intervention to bring war, or to bring a democracy, I'm sorry. Um, international organizations, uh, I mean, some are useful, uh, but classical liberals just as in the domestic situation, fear that it's really hard to get rid of a big state at the international level. And a lot of international organizations at the international level uh, will become such a big state, uh, often because in uh, international law trumps national law uh, in, the, um, in, in the legal systems of, of countries. Um, of course, it's useful to you know, uh, to deal with functional issues at the uh, international level. Uh, for example, the first international organization was the Postal Union, um, or as a platform to enable continued talks, uh, but that can be done in many ways as well. That's, uh, for example, the United Nations um, can be helpful, but often it's not because the, it's too much of a big tent to, uh, to have really effect. In terms of immigration, which of course is a very topical issue, uh, classical liberals um, uh, think that immigration has to be limited. Uh, they don't support free immigration as some mainly American uh, libertarians uh, theorists uh, think at the moment. For example, Hayek and Mises strongly opposed such uh, free immigration flows. And then there are the, well, the, the traditional issues uh, or, or, or um, standpoints, if you like, 
free trade is very much supported by classical liberals, although not in the idea that it brings peace. Uh, globalization, and they strongly oppose development aid. So these are, uh, in a nutshell, the characteristics of classical liberalism in IR. I mean, it's very interesting, but another um, IR theory, which many will relate to or sympathize with is realism. Um, I wonder if you could let me know what the key differences, what key differences there are um, between realism and class uh, liberal IR. And does sure. realism, does, you know, does realism and classical liberal um, liberalism like mix? Is there, is there, is there a way that a, a classical liberal could be a realist? Um, well, I think that two different uh, theories, and uh, of course, realism is another important uh, theory of, of IR, yet uh, realism uh, tends to focus on the state and its interests, while classical liberalism has a far broader view, uh, and it wants to promote uh, individual liberty at, uh, at its core. So these are two things, either state or individual liberty. Uh, some characteristics, perhaps, of realism are uh, the idea that there's anarchy in the world. Of course, there's no judge or court. Uh, I mean, there's an international court, but this that has not have the power uh, to enforce its decisions, right? So there's no ultimate uh, uh, in, uh, organization that can rule the world, right? Uh, so uh, realists uh, lead, uh, take from this that there's anarchy in the world. And they see international politics as a continuous zero-sum struggle uh, between nations. Um, and this means that, uh, in their view at least, that uh, powers must be self-interested and act only in their national interest. Nation states are the main actor in IR. Uh, and they also uh, share with classical liberals the idea of the balance of power. And um, great ma power management is another thing they, um, they focus on. Uh, smaller powers, smaller nations, smaller countries, uh, well, they basically just need to accept uh, their vulnerability and uh, cooperate with one or more of the great powers. Um, cooperation does exist. I mean, realists are not, you know, they see what, how the world is like, um, but they've, emphasize that it's only um, uh, necessary to cooperate internationally as long as it serves the national interest. Um, you know, if it doesn't uh, serve the inter international interest any of the national interest anymore, uh, cooperation, uh, international organizations, all that can be swept aside. Realists uh, don't have a concern with liberty, as said before, uh, or they uh, do they think that uh, morality has such a big place in international relations? Um, so if you ask, uh, are there uh, those two uh, theories, do they agree on, 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 uh, on certain points? Uh, I would uh, answer in the affirmative. Um, we just saw that they uh, share a belief in, uh, in the balance of power, for example, and the place of nations um so these are two points uh but they're also fundamental differences i think you can uh use for example i mean i would like i always like to use the english school theory uh not least because it's uh using a divide of the main approaches to international theory uh into three uh categories of course there are many other 
IR theories as well, uh, but often they are not associated with liberal thought. But English school theory uh, divides the world or divides looking at the world into three categories. First is realism, uh, which is often associated with the um, neoconservative thought. It's also called Hobbesian or the state system approach. Then there's idealism, uh, which is associated with uh, socialism, social liberalism, liberalism, as we just um, discussed. Uh, also referred to as Kantianism or world society approach. And then there's the classical liberalism uh, or Grotian uh, approach, which sees the world as a society of states. And now some critics will, uh, will say that classical liberalism is just another variant of realism, but I think this is wrong. They do have uh, some ideas in common, as you just said, but the ultimate goal in international relations of both theories is just different. The reason of state versus individual liberty. Classical liberal, liberals are also more positive about the possibility of international order, which is based in the difference also between their uh, respective world, uh, views on human nature. So negative uh, view on human nature versus a realist uh, view on human nature with classical liberals. Um, also, it's hard to see for classical liberalists that the world is an outright anarchy. Uh, they see it as an anarchical society, as Hadley Bull said it, uh, where there is a place for moral concern such as keeping your promises and, for example, uh, intervene when a genocide is going on next door or elsewhere. That's, that's really interesting, um, but I, I'd like to now put the theory into practice, uh, if you would, uh, and move on to the Russia-Ukraine border. Um, after the takeover of, crime, of the Crimea in 2014, the Russians have now built up quite a large military presence on the border with Ukraine again. Um, it's unknown whether President Putin plans to plans an actual invasion, or but it's definitely rattled the NATO alliance. What theories best explain what is happening at the moment? Well, uh, I think it's clear that there's no place for social liberalism here. Um, also, perhaps on a side note, um, as I said, social liberalists uh, really think or expect that free trade also fosters peace. Well, um, also, and although the uh, the numbers are decreasing, trade relations between Ukraine and Russia are still significant for both countries. So um, uh, uh, trade does not prevent a threat of conflict or conflict uh, at all. Uh, you know, it's one of those doctrines which is still dominant among liberals of all stripes actually uh but especially of social liberals uh but i think that's um you know it doesn't uh, the facts uh, don't bear it out uh but um um the current situation can best be seen as 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 a as as both um realism and classical liberalism in practice uh, especially because those old-fashioned but still very topical things such as the balance of power, great power management, war, violence, and conquest, the national interest and sovereignty are all elements in this crisis. And it's, of course, very significant that either Ukraine or Europe are not at the table, uh, at present at least. Um, the, uh, the talks go uh, between the USA and Russia, uh, but 
other talks are in international organizations such as NATO uh, and the OVZ uh, will will follow as well. Uh, at the moment, we don't know how that uh, will uh, end, of course. Um, but but is uh, is further? I mean, I think it's it's quite uh, it's 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 a realist, but also a classical liberalist uh, approach will uh, will work best to explain the situation. So you know, what would a classical liberal response be to the dispute uh, at an international level? Well, I think you have to see it in the perspective of the global balance of power, where Russia was uh, less influenced since the 90s at the end of the Cold War, and they want to regain their position. This has been said over and over again by uh, President Putin. He thought that the demise of the Soviet Union was a, was a disaster, and he wants to uh, return to, uh, to that situation, and he also wants to return to a situation where he has a sphere of influence over Eastern Europe. And um, that is a, uh, uh, something that the Western powers cannot, uh, cannot go with, uh, with Putin on that. I mean, Ukraine is a sovereign country uh, which can choose its alliances and memberships itself. So there can be no doubt that uh, uh, the West has to stand straight on this one. Also because the alleged Russian threat is just made up. Um, and Russia already got away, we have to, as you mentioned, uh, with seizing the Crimea and the support for the rising of, in the east of the Ukraine. Um, but I also think that some domestic uh, forces are in the loop. Putin is far less popular in his own country. And then to make up an external threat is all, uh, always something that unites a country, uh, even when it's just made up. Um, chances are that if Russia get its way, or even just a little bit, uh, it will just then turn its attention to, the, for example, the Baltic states or Poland, or it may, you know, out of out of the blue, just uh, demand a permanent land connection between Kaliningrad and the, and the rest of Russia, for example. So, uh, in essence. Uh, he will not, um, he will probably not give up. Uh, but if he has one success, he will, he will look for the next one. So it's no time to go wobbly. Uh, nobody is seeking a military conflict, but giving in to in unrealistic demands is just not an option. Um, we'll see how it, how it goes. Uh, there are many talks planned, which I think is a good thing. Uh, and hopefully that will um, get the... Uh, the conflict uh, out of uh, from the table. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Edwin van der Haar. That was a fascinating conversation. We'll wait to see what happens, uh, but that's all we've got time for. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Uh, I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the IA podcast on Podbean, Spotify or Apple. We also upload our podcast on our YouTube channel, IEA London. If you want to help contribute to the IEA's digital output, please support us on Patreon, where you can benefit from exclusive membership perks whilst helping us continue to produce stimulating educational output. To become an online patron, click the link in the show notes.